Medical Monday is proudly brought to you with the compliments of Discam. Pharmacists to care. And good morning to you, and uh, thank you so much for joining me. My name is Kathy Kayla, and I will be your host for the next hour on this Discam Medical Monday. Thank you, Discam. And, uh, you know, we're talking today about spinal cord injuries. A few years ago, I was actually uh, in Natal. I was on the on the coast and uh, met a guy. He was in a wheelchair, and um, he was, I think, I think it's a paraplegic all the way from from, I think it's from the stomach down. But mm-hmm. he was uh, he was from the shoulders down. I think that's a quadriplegic. Mm-hmm. That's correct. And. Uh, as, you know, we were just talking, and he was very, very open about his disability. And uh, I said to him, "How, you know, what happened?" And he said to me, "He was at a party, and uh, you know, it was a pool party, hmm. and he dived into the pool wearing a Mexican sombrero, okay. these big hats, and from the surface area of the water became like diving into concrete." Okay. And he basically snapped his neck. Correct. And, uh, you know, I just thought, wow, are we not all walking that line? Because that could have been anybody. Of course you want yeah. to sit in a swimming pool with a sombrero on, right? Mm-hmm. Who doesn't? Yeah. Anyhow, so um, I thought, you know, spinal cord injuries, uh, they can happen at any time. And, uh, you know, what does it really mean? How do we understand it? There are often uh, degenerative things which can cause uh you know the spine to to stop functioning as it as it can in the case of um I, I would say multiple sclerosis is possibly one of them where the myelin sheath is uh is the part that um, you know what we've got an expert he's going to explain <laughs> everything to us <laughs> so i'd like to welcome into studio dr francois Teron. he is a, he's an orthopedic surgeon he practices in pretoria uh comes highly recommended from some of his patients <laughs> apparently you're very strict with your patients well, I, I, I try to. <laughs> You're putting me on the spot there straight away. I try All to. All right. <laughs> Thank no. you very much. No, Thank thanks you very for much the for time. coming. No, thanks for the time. So we're talking, I mean, while while you do have, you know, your daily uh, speciality is in back pain. Correct. And yes. is in degenerative um, back uh, diseases or conditions. Yes. Your passion is uh, helping people with spinal cord injuries. Spinal cord injuries, absolutely, yes. Spinal cord injury has been something that I've been involved in um, for a long time now. It started off, as with all things with doctors, with a, a case that you pr- probably never prepared of. And when I was a houseman in Addington, very much similar to, to what your story is just now, the first patient I had to manage was... Uh, a young gentleman that dove into a wave right in front of Addington Hospital in Durban and sustained a very similar type of injury. And through the year of my internship, I got to know him pretty well because he, spinal cord injuries has such a wide um, impact on, on the body itself for the person involved, but also for the family and, the, and society and the community from which they come. So I got to know this person quite well because I saw him in all the different departments through which I rotated. I saw him in, firstly in orthopedics where we, we fixed his, his neck and then we went on, I went on to do some urology and I saw him with his 
bladder problems and managing his bladder symptoms and then in general surgery, ma- managing his bowel conditions and plastic surgery, managing some sores, pressure sores. So spinal cord injury is a very interesting disease from, from an academic perspective and from a scientific perspective but also from a social perspective and I think that's why we all become doctors because we, we want to treat the people as a as a, a whole and not just see a specific disease condition and there's no other condition that has such a wide ranging, ranging impact on the individual from you, you think you've damaged your spinal cord but that has a huge impact on, on the way your body functions, on the way your life functions and the way that you function in society and um i think it was a it, if we look back at the history of spinal cord injuries we can see that it's um actually been first described in in egypt in the at the edmund smith papyrus in cairo which was about 2500 years old That's and incredible. and it's described there as an ailment not to be treated and um if you translate the papyrus and um that's that's been true i mean up until the second world war the average life expectancy of somebody with a spinal cord injury was at the most 6 months and um luckily there was a guy where this all started i'll take you back in the history we've got some time this is very <laughs> this is very, very yeah, interesting we um there was a place called Stoke Mandeville which is in in the uk it used to be a tb hospital and there was a a German um, neurosurgeon, well, he was actually f- of Jewish descent, and he fled through Europe um, as the occupying forces pursued him. He ended up in the UK, and he everywhere he went, he saw these people with spinal cord injuries, and they would all die because of complications, because of pressure sores, because of poor management of their bladder, and that type of thing. And he developed a system to say that um, he can do this better by doing very basic care of of the skin of the patients and by taking care of their bladder function and their kidney function. And he made such a noise that the Ministry of Defense actually said, okay, well, we've got this old dilapidated TB hospital, which is in a place called Aylesbury, They've never heard of the frozen yogurt, by the way. But it's right in the middle of the UK. And they said, okay, we'll give you the hospital. We know that the D-Day landings will be coming up and that um, we will probably have a lot of spinal cord injuries. So if you, if we give you this hospital and you can prove to us that you manage your patients better and your outcomes are better, then we will fund you. And Goodman took up the challenge and they, they, they developed this hospital and they developed his system of managing um, spinal cord injuries and um, lo and behold a lot of D-Day vets came to the hospital, was transported there and uh, five years later all of them were still alive. And they, that's incredible they, and that's groundbreaking. That's absolutely, I don't, I'm not aware of, I might stand corrected, but I'm not aware of any one treatment regime in modern medicine that had such a major impact on the outcome of, of people in terms of survival than, than what Goodman did at Stoke Mandeville. At the same time, there was a guy by the name of Donald Monroe in, in the States that had very similar ideas, and the two of them got together 
eventually they said that, well, they kept their patients in hospital for a very long time. So the patients were kept on bed rest for three months. They didn't operate on the, on the spine. So they put the patients in bed and made sure that they had regular turning and prevented pressure sores. Eventually, after about three months, people would get up into a wheelchair. But they wouldn't discharge anybody from hospital for two years after the injury. And they said that the people were actually becoming bored. They were active soldiers, very, very um, physically active up until the time of their injury, very much like we see today. So they said that sport would be an important part of, of getting back to normal functioning. And they started to develop what's called, what, what was called at that time the International Stoke Mandeville Wheelchair Sports Federation. So they developed ways to play basketball, ways to play or do archery. They developed classification systems, and this eventually led to the formation of the Paralympic Games in 1960. Mm. So so things developed in spinal cord injury from one place, Stoke Mandeville, and, and in the U.S. The, the system was adopted. There was a gentleman by the name of Sir George Bedbrook who took the system down to to Australia and they actually developed spinal cord injuries units in Australia. In South Africa there was a, a lady by the name of Professor Ali Key who worked at um, Conradi Hospital in Cape Town um, and she went over to, to see in the early 60s um, they came to hear what what um, spinal cord injuries were being treated and how things were developing so she went over and spent some time with Goodman at Stoke Mandeville and then developed the spinal cord injury unit in, at Conradi Hospital in Cape Town which um, became again groundbreaking in South Africa um, this then was taken on by the Chamber of Mines in that time because wow. the Chamber of Mines had um, a high incidence of spinal cord injury with all the deep mines that we have in South Africa and the mining industry became sort of the leaders in terms of spinal cord injury. They developed two units which still exist today, the Ernest Oppenheimer unit in Valcom and Rand Mutual Hospital here in, in Johannesburg. They um they take care of, uh, or they used to take care of the mining injuries as such. Luckily, the incidence in that has decreased slightly. So in, so from there, the, it's sort of interesting to see how spinal cord injuries and the care of spinal cord injuries have has developed in, in basically the last 40, so 50 years. So interesting, the history of it. <laughs> yes. And you know, when you when one looks at medical history mm. of, of anything, I mean, it really is fascinating. I mean, I was raised in a generation that told us how wonderful Florence Nightingale was. Of course, it's all turning out today that she had one that... Most people in her hospital actually didn't survive. Yes. She mm. was not a good nurse, unfortunately. <laughs> she did not, you know, the lady of the lamp. Then, yeah. So it's very interesting when, when one looks at medical history mm. and sees how far we have come. And we Absolutely. continue to make that progress, progress with yes. nanotechnology, mm. with nano, you know, microsurgery and all these sorts of things. Absolutely. You know, um, I heard of, uh, well, actually, I know the individual concerned when he was uh, at school playing rugby. He broke his neck, mm -hmm. and they said to him that he'd never walk again. But he's, mm -hmm. he's, there's a Yiddish word. It's called dafka. Mm -hmm. Dafka means if I say it's red, you'll say it's blue. If I say it's raining, you'll say the sun's shining. That's Absolutely. dafka. You'll do exactly the opposite. And his personality is very much that. Mm. And he decided he's going to, to he's going away. to walk again, and Absolutely. and he managed to walk. 
after having a broken neck. neck. And it's in, it's absolutely incredible. Yeah, um, all right. So I just wanted to just, uh, if you've just joined us, my guest is Dr. Francois Turon. He's, uh, he's an orthopedic surgeon. He practices in Pretoria and we're talking about spinal cord injuries. Absolutely fascinating. Starting off with the history <laughs> of a spinal cord injuries. I mean, it's, it's incredible to think that, uh, this is this is some of the stuff that you missed. Okay, so you're gonna to have to go and download the podcast. But uh, you know, spinal cord injuries was uh, mentioned two and a half thousand years ago in Egyptian papyrus or papyri. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and it was it was termed the you know it's not to be treated, Absolutely. right? And then it started getting it started changing, but that's only in modernity. Um, you said World War One or World, World, World War Two. Two. That's yeah. even more recent. Yeah. I mean, you're looking at about the 1940s things. Yeah, 1940s. You're looking at mm. 70 years ago. Absolutely, it's, it's incredible. Yeah, and what we've come to realize as well, and through experiences, um, the, the case you spoke of now, is that spinal cord injuries is actually a whole spectrum of of diseases. There's not just one thing. Yes. You know, you can get somebody that has. A complete injury, meaning that there's absolutely no function below the level of where the spinal cord is severed. Um, And obviously those, in modern science, those patients have have less good prognosis in terms of walking, having normal uh, bladder and bowel function and things like that. But there's a huge spectrum of disease. People can actually have some damage to the spinal cord and there might be slight preservation of function below where the the injury is. And those people actually have a, a very interesting course and every interesting prognosis in the end and um, it's not to say that somebody that has a fracture or that has a spinal cord injury will exactly be the same as the next person so so the spectrum of the disease is quite wide especially and and if we look at the traumatic cases but in South Africa these days we're coming to realize that Spinal cord diseases or spinal cord afflictions actually have as much an, uh, an impact on society as a whole. You know, we, we're dealing with epidemic proportions of tuberculosis and of infectious diseases at this stage, and all of them can impact the spinal cord and present with spinal cord injuries um, and Jeez, spinal cord afflictions. So, so TB, for instance, at, I think at this stage we don't have, that's one of our, our major challenges in South Africa, we don't have a registry. We don't know. We, we don't, don't have stats. We don't have accurate stats. We, we rely very much on, on European stats and on first world statistics. Um, so, so we know that we have a higher, spi- higher incidence of spinal cord injury. Now, if you look at, um, the way we quote the incidence of spinal cord injuries was in, we quoted per million of population per year. So in Scandinavian countries, you know, the incidence would be about 15 per million of population per year. We know that in the United States, they average at about 30 um, of per million of population per year. Our guesstimate in South Africa is that we are we hovering at about seventy per million of population. Well, so when one when considers uh, road accidents, exactly, I think exactly. you know our, our death toll is just completely off the charts. Exactly. So so we would be five to 
to ten to eight times higher than somewhere like Scandinavia. Yet we don't have a national plan to manage specifically spinal cord injuries. Mm. So, so that's that's part of um, the mission and vision of of the organisation that I'm part of, called the Southern African Spinal Cord Association, is to try and get get things like that to make awareness, to create awareness about the disease. We've partnered very much with the uh, Quad Para Association of South Africa, Quasa, who's our consumers or our clients. Um, Those are the people afflicted by spinal cord diseases that are in wheelchairs, and they have their own organization. And between the two of us, the two organizations, we're trying to create awareness, trying to promote the cause of spinal cord injuries as a specific disease entity to see if we can up the level of care that we have in South Africa. And awareness to prevent it. And to prevent it. Yeah, prevention is is a major drive. I know that Quasar has regular awareness creating campaigns. You know, the the casual day is one of them. Um, The bandana day, they they have active um, over Easter and over Christmas period, they have um, active roadside campaigns, and their slogan is they don't want new members, which is quite catchy. <laughs> they but don't it's want, true. but it's really true. Yeah. Um, so, so we need to create awareness and need to create awareness that um, spinal cord injury, as I've said before, is not, it's not a death sentence anymore. If you, if you manage it accurately and, and you do basic care of the of the injured patients and do proper rehabilitation you know get the patients back to being active participants in society you have a you have a very virtually normal life expectancy for a paraplegic and a 75% of normal life expectancy for a quadriplegic so so to put people into a, a, a little dark room and, and hide them away from society is not the way to manage it. And yeah. I think um, us as a society, uh, the way we take care of our disabled says a lot of, of how where we are and how, how we're dealing with society as a whole. And I think we have a responsibility to do this. Yeah, absolutely. I think that uh, that's how we judge as a society is how we treat our, our vulnerable. Absolutely. Whether it's uh, children... Uh, you know, disabled, old people, even even animals. You could yes. even bring animals into that. So, okay, my guest is Dr. Francis Turon. He is an orthopedic surgeon. If you've got any questions, whether it's about spinal cord injury, whether it's about back pain, uh, we're going to hopefully we'll get time to actually talk about that. Sure. But if you send in your messages now, then uh, I will actually make time to... Uh, to go through them with Dr. Tehran. Uh, how do you get in touch with us? 34519. That's the uh, text line. Or you can WhatsApp from anywhere in the world on plus 27 Join the conversation. My name is Kathy Kayla and this is a Diskem Medical Monday. Medical Monday is proudly brought to you with the compliments of Diskem. Pharmacists to care. Thank you so much for joining me. My name is Kathy Kayla. This is the Disco Medical Monday. Today I'm speaking to orthopedic surgeon Dr. Francois Teron. He practices in Pretoria and we're talking about spinal cord injuries. And uh, this is really his passion. You can hear it. You can, you know, it's so interesting to learn the history and to find out that spinal cord injuries was mentioned in Egyptian papyri two and a half thousand years ago and it's something that we only in the last 80 years have started to come to terms with and look at ways of helping people who have spinal cord injuries instead of just writing people off so uh, that's 
a huge step um, in terms of how we approach spinal cord injuries. But in his day job, (laughs) (laughs) Dr. Duran treats degenerative spinal conditions and back and neck pain. So uh, if you've got any questions about that, you're welcome to send them through on 34519 or you can WhatsApp them on 062-148-2374. All right, we've spoken about the stats. Spinal cord injuries, you mentioned about bladder control. You mentioned about um, bowel control. Mm-hmm. What organs continue to work with a spinal cord injury and what organs need management? Okay. Well, actually, the, that's a very interesting question. Um, as you say, you, your bladder and your, your bowel is probably has the most impact on your day-to-day activity. They they function autonomously, and but that's where the problem lies because you can't feel whether when your bladder is full because you can't feel when your bowels want to act. Those are we have to put systems in place to manage that. Okay, now be that an indwelling. Well, if we look at the bladder function, you know we can discharge a patient on an indwelling catheter and make sure that he drains. Um, into a, a leg bag or things, but that's not ideal. That nobody wants to go around, especially in the majority of our patients are young, active men. So they, they don't really? want to you know, see. You know, if you look at it statistically, about eighty percent in the traumatic group, uh, group will be males, and they will be young people because they have the risk taking. Something you know. so heartbreaking about what you're saying. Exactly. So, so you don't want somebody to. Go through life with a leg bang. Yeah, you're already feeling vulnerable. Exactly. Yeah. So, so there's ways of managing that. Um, the one, the, the, the goal or the gold standard is if the patient is able to catheterize their bladder themselves, they would every three hours go and pass a catheter and empty the bladder. Much like you and I go to the bathroom and, and empty our bladders normally. They just do it with a catheter, but that has a huge impact on on the patient because um, you have to be trained how to do it, how to do it cleanly, how to prevent infections from occurring, how to prevent damage of the urethra and the the, the pipe that leads out. So that's that's part of the rehabilitation program. Would it be the same for women as well? Very similar. Okay. Yes. Okay. okay. Um, if if that's not possible for you due to the fact that you don't have normal hand function or that you might um, have, don't have other reasons why you can't do that, we want to you will be discharged with a catheter. But that has again implications on your long term health because somebody that has a catheter in all the time has a high incidence of urinary, urinary tract infections, bladder stones, kidney stones, and they need to be followed up lifelong more carefully by the healthcare provider. So that's just the bladder. The bowels, the bowels again, you continues to function autonomously, but you need to get a program where you manage your bowels at a certain time of day that's socially acceptable for you. And that's, again, part of the rehabilitation program that we, we try and teach our patients. The next major organ that actually is responsible for the majority of problems is skin. Really? And I would have thought that it would be the lungs because, you know, a quadriplegic might not be able to to cough. Yes. You know, Um, again. Um, yeah, once you've survived the acute thing, you're absolutely right in that the acute phase, you know, the, the, 
We take so much for granted as able-bodied people. Exactly. The couple of weeks after the injury, the lungs are a major problem. But that usually, if you get over the acute phase, we can manage. And um, But the skin is a thing that causes the major issue because the number one cause of death in the long term for these patients is major pressure sores. Because they have no sensation and they can't feel their skin and they're sitting on, on inappropriate objects or they have a deformity of their spine which makes them skew in a certain area, they put a lot of pressure on, on the, their seating areas. And if they don't, if they're not very diligent in managing their skin, in other words, doing regular pressure, you know, if you see you and I, we, even though we sit still now for an hour, we keep on moving, we keep on shifting. If you're sitting in one position all day, actually, if you sit in one position for more than half an hour, you will develop a pressure area and the skin will break down and the skin will die. And if that, that becomes a chronic sore, that leads to infection. That leads to eventual demise of the patient. So pressure sores is a major, major issue um, in in the chronic injured, in the acute injured, especially if they lie in hospital, if the nursing care is not up to standard, if they're not turned regularly, and if the the pressure areas aren't attended to, they come to us with with big pressure sores. Now. Huntley, which is an organization that does um, a lot of research, a couple of years ago found that it takes about half a million rand to cure one pressure sore. What? So that that's a huge impact on the healthcare system and on society. So so that's a, that's something that that we need to prevent, and it's totally preventable. It's How? By training the patient. Firstly, in the acute phase, we need to make sure, you know, we all love these spinal boards, the ambulance men and things. Once you have your accident, they put you on a spinal board to prevent movement, the, the move, movement of the spine. And, yeah. But if you're on that spinal board for more than half an hour, you will have problems with pressure areas. So we need to get people to, to proper facilities soon to get them off the spinal boards and then while we're stabilizing them, we need to regularly turn the patient so that the areas that are prone to have pressure will will not will not become um, degenerated and and the pressure sore won't develop. In the in the chronically injured patient, in the guy that's finished their rehabilitation, they they have to have special ma- uh, cushions that uh, that we prescribe. So a wheelchair user. Yeah, there's two things that they need. They need the wheelchair, obviously, to make sure that they can get anywhere. But a wheelchair without a cushion is is a total disaster area. So they need a proper pressure-relieving cushion. Now, there's a whole host on the market, and that's part of what we do in rehabilitation is to, for each patient, give an adequate seating system so that they their pressure areas are attended to. But the cushion alone doesn't do it, so the patient needs to be made aware that they need to take care of their pressure area. So every um, 10 to 20 minutes they need to lift their, their seating areas and change their, their position just to give, to save the skin. If they can't do it themselves, the carers need to be trained how to do this. And um, it's it's a long, long-term training process that you have to go through to make sure that you manage your skin um, accurately. Okay. This is such a fascinating topic, and it's just it's giving me tremendous insight into uh, 
okay. somebody else's reality. <laughs> so thank you very so much. Absolutely, yes. Um, Margie wants to know what is myasthenia gravis, or gravis, and what causes it. Okay, myasthenia gravis is actually a, a disease that that we're not ex- completely sure what it causes. What's the cause of it? There might be some genetic predisposition. It might have an autoimmune. Um, Background where your your own immune system actually uh, attacks the muscles, and it's it's basically characterized by a, a tiring of muscles uh, or voluntary control muscles, specifically eye muscles, and um, you get the drooping of the eyelids and and that that type of thing. It it has so drooping eyelids and yes, drooping mouth. Mouth, yeah. Um, it does, it usually affects mainly the eyes and, um, it's usually associated with other diseases like certain forms of cancer, certain forms of autoimmune diseases and that type. Okay, but it's not really, um, related to spinal cord injury? No, no, it's a peripheral mus- muscular disease. Yeah. A little bit earlier you were saying that there are certain diseases which cause, uh, spinal cord injury. Yeah. You mentioned tuberculosis. tuberculosis. Yes. Now, it's so strange because it was just a week ago that I actually met somebody who, as a child, had had tuberculosis in his knee. Yes. I didn't know that you could get it in different parts of your body. Absolutely. I just saw it as a as a disease that affected the lungs and, yeah. you know, people cough blood and that was it. But he had actually got it from, uh, from yes. in, in the knee. Um, what So... TB, you said, is one of them that can cause spinal injuries, and we're seeing yes. more and more of that. Absolutely. What are the other diseases? Well, any other infection can cause it. So, so TB is a, is a unique disease. As you've said now, it, it 70% of ch- times it affects the lungs, but um, the musculoskeletal system, meaning joints, um, spine, bone, is about the second most common area that TB affects. So TB is the, the primary infective cause of spinal cord injury. Um, the other infections like any bacterial infection, staph aureus, um, can cause discitis and, and infection of the bone surrounding the spinal cord that can then lead to spinal cord injuries. Um, degenerative conditions, um, sometimes that, that's also a big part. As we age, our, our spine becomes brittle and the, the little cushions between the vertebrae tend to lose their elasticity and they tend to collapse. That leads to a broadening of the disc spaces and uh, over time a narrowing of the space available for the spinal cord. That can sometimes, in very extreme cases, lead to to compromise of the spinal cord and um, and make the spinal cord itself um, vulnerable to to a fall. We see this commonly in in the elderly population who have um, significant, say, neck degenerative conditions, and if they should have a sudden fall down downstairs they have a classical picture of presenting with what we call a central cord syndrome that means that um, their their legs might be working but their arms might not be working it's actually the other way around yes yes for paraplegic yes um, and so it's a very specific pattern in the elderly degenerative population um, then metabolic conditions um, rarely can cause uh, Spinal cord dysfunction um, and tumors is is a major grouping as such. Um, 
tumors that metastasize to the spine, which of of which the prostate uh, in males is is quite common. It can it, it metastasizes to the spine quite frequently. Um, lung uh, tumors. Um, Thyroid tumors, any organs any that are organ lying can, near your yeah. spinal column. Well, yeah, or, or distantly, but they they through your bloodstream can metastasize. You know, so interesting spine. what you just said about prostate because mm. um, over the years I've I've interviewed a lot of people, especially come November, because November is all about <laughs> prostate health and getting your prostate checked. I probably That's know more about prostate than. I don't know, then most men, right, right. (laughs) yes, exactly, then it's healthy to know. Um, (laughs) But, you know, a a lot of the thought around uh, prostate is that you shouldn't, you don't have to treat prostate, depending on your age, because it is often something that will, um, you know, it'll manifest in, you know, from, I think, 60, from 60 years onward, Every 10 years, you increase your chances that by the time you get to 100, you're guaranteed to have prostate cancer. Um, But the the thought is that you shouldn't really because it's going to interrupt your your um depending on your age it's going to interfere with your with your quality of life the treatment is often worse than the disease and people die from the treatment and not the disease but now what you're telling me is that you should treat prostate prostate cancer because it can metastasize into your spine into your spinal cord and that can cause spinal cord injury Absolutely, yes. So, so I, I don't agree with that assumption that you shouldn't, um, at least I think everybody, every male older than 50 should have a yearly checkup um, to, to rule out prostate cancer and prostate afflictions because of this, this, that, that we've talked about now. One, if you pick it up early, you can treat it early and you can prevent metastases to to the spine and and spinal cord injuries in the extreme form, the the metastases usually goes to the bone in the spine. So so um, it's not necessarily that everybody that has prostate metastases to the spine will become paralysed from them, but the chances are there. So so not you have to pre- prevent that metastasizing lesion before. And it's far easier these days with with the hormonal therapies, with um, what we call brachytherapy in in urology, where they put in radioactive rods in the prostate, or with with robotic surgery. Um, I think prostate cancer has come a long way. I'm not a urologist, so so please don't. But but in any case, I think the prognosis of prostate cancer is improving. But it all, as with females with breast cancer and cervical cancer, it all depends on early detection. So yeah. the sooner you pick it up, the sooner you can Don't do Don't wait for November, about. is that exactly, what you're saying? Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Do a year, <laughs> take care of your health while you have it. You know, once you lose it, it's difficult. <laughs> That's profound. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right, so you said uh, anything with your, you know, with lungs. All oh, right. Um, any of your organs no, can metastasize. Oh, yeah. Why, why can't they change that word? <laughs> it's so unpronounceable. See, that's the way doctors work. They yeah. make it difficult so that they think. So it's nobody <laughs> yeah, yeah. Makes us think you're clever. All right. Yeah, exactly. Um, Nikki, thank you so much. Nikki says, uh, and this is getting back to when you were saying that the majority of spinal cord injury patients are young men. The traumatic group, yes. I remember um, I had a meeting 
I can't think of the guy's surname. I think his first name was Ari oh, from Kwaza. Yes. Oh, that's right. Ari Cyrillus. Is, yeah. is he still with uh, Kwaza? Yes, yes, he's the CEO. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, and I remember him saying, how many of the spinal cord injuries are from motorbikes? Yes. And Nikki's picked up on this. She said, is education being done? Example, taking young adults, say motorbike drivers, to visit a special injury ward or having people with this disability to talk to high schools. Nikki, I think that is a brilliant idea. Yes. Brilliant. Thank well, you. We're, we're trying to do that. Um, the 5th of September has been declared the International Spinal Cord Injuries Day. That's been done so by the International Spinal Cord Society, which is affiliated to WHO or the World Health Organization. So it's a international day of spinal cord injury. And during that day, with the help of Quasa and Ari Cyrilis that you've mentioned, um, we, we're having a, uh, awareness campaigns across the country. Mainly the focus is on prevention and preventing not only uh, motorbike accidents, but you, we've both swimming mentioned pool. swimming pool diving accidents. Um, in the U.S., they have a, a summer-long campaign where they say that um, they create awareness for both to tell people to never dive into pools, but always jump feet first into pools. Those are the type of things we want to promote and that we want to create awareness of. You know, using social media, using um, campaigns at schools using um, awareness from in in the media itself by press re- releases and things and we're lucky that Ari Serralis uh, has been made the South African representative or the African representative of Spinal Cord Injury Day which is on the 5th of September coming up next week. He is so passionate he is, about this man. and thank God that there are people who are driving this. Absolutely. You know? No, no, we, we owe him a huge debt of gratitude for, for all the efforts that, that he and his organization puts in. I mean, they're, they're a phenomenal organization um, with, with a huge... Um, Passion and drive in in catering for people with yeah. disabilities, and from from our side, from the professional side, the the spinal cord fraternity, we're very lucky to be affiliated with them. Yeah, and they with you, I have <laughs> no doubt. Um, ben wants to know <clears throat> how safe is a lumbar puncture? That's a great question. Absolutely. I mean, you were talking about infection. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Ben. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you can, if you've got questions, you're welcome to send them through on three four five one nine. Or on uh, WhatsApp zero six two one four eight two three seven four, and that's obviously getting back to, you know, infection and yes, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Any medical procedure has risks. Okay, it depends on what the the indication is for a lumbar puncture. Um, usually, um, if we can make a diagnosis by using non-invasive procedures, say MRIs, X-rays, blood tests, well, not that the blood test is non-invasive, we still need to draw the blood, we will try and make a diagnosis um, without doing a lumbar punch. But a lumbar punch is often, especially in infective cases or in cases where you don't know what the diagnosis is, it is important to have that done, and but then as long as you do it in a in a sterile environment and and that you have somebody that that has been trained in the proper procedure, luckily the the complications are are, are not 
often uh, that we see complications from lumbar punctures. The 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 anaesthetist um, often use epidurals and and. Yeah, I was going to ask about pus, the safety yes. of epidural. Uh, again, if it, touch wood, if provided it's done in a sterile environment by a trained professional, we very seldom see spinal cord injuries or spinal cord problems from from those procedures. So, again, provided all the rules are followed. Um, I think it's a, a very reasonable procedure. Yeah, one never really thinks about it. Mm. You know, that, that these are yes. all risks. No, that's, that's a huge risk, yeah, but that's why it's always the last thing, you know, we try, if it's a diagnostic lumbar punch, you know, where we trying to make a diagnosis, we'll try everything else before doing a lumbar punch, and because firstly it's, it's a very invasive procedure. It's, it is painful, no matter how we as professionals try and convince you that it's not. But it is a painful procedure, and if we can make a diagnosis without having to resort to that, then we'll do that. But if we have to have some of the fluid to make a diagnosis to save your life, then, then it's worthwhile, and, and you need to... Figure to, it away so, at the odds. Absolutely. Yeah. Very, very interesting. Um, can we talk just a little bit of more about this? What did you call it? You said in, in older patients, central cord syndrome. Oh, syndrome. Yes. That, that, that's, again, that's one of the specific um, types of spinal cord injury that you can get in the older people. What causes that? It's actually interesting. It's a it's a vascular problem. It's like having a stroke of your, of your spinal cord, not of the brain, because um, the the blood supply of the spinal cord comes from the outside to the in. So so the tracks that run furthest away from from where the blood supply is is those that go to your arms. They they run more centrally in the spinal cord. And if you if the space available for the spinal cord becomes less, um, you more prone to have vascular injuries to the cord and that then leads to what we call the typical central cord syndrome in the, in the older population hmm. sure <laughs> you know what aging is not for the faint hearted absolutely it's and not at the for same sisters. time I don't like the alternative <laughs> <laughs> that's true really true All right. what, what could you say to young young people you know mm. the younger we are the more we feel that nothing will defeat us. Absolutely. It will never happen to us. Yes. What are your hard and fast rules for looking after your spine? And, uh, yeah, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to speak to you. We're going to get all that information from Dr. Francis Turon, who is an orthopedic surgeon. Thanks for joining us. My name's Kathy, and this is the Diskem Medical Monday. Medical Monday is proudly brought to you with the compliments of Diskem, pharmacists who care. Thank you so much for joining me. My name is Kathy Kaler, and uh, we're almost coming up to the end of the Diskem Medical Monday. My guest is Dr. Francois Turon. He is an orthopedic surgeon. His practice is in Pretoria. He comes highly recommended from... Uh, yeah, somebody I know who went to see him who said that he's very, very strict but just lovely to work with. Um, all right, but that's, you know, less about <laughs> Thanks. you. Thank you. <laughs> um, during his day, he, he treats uh, degenerative spinal conditions as well as back and neck pain. I'm amazed at how many uh, people are actually suffering from sure. back and neck pain. Uh, b- 
that's a whole nother show. I think we've mm-hmm. got to get you back there for sure, <laughs> Dr. Time. Tehran. But right now we actually are talking about spinal cord injuries. And uh, I asked Dr. Tehran for a list of do's and don'ts, you know, to a young person sure. or, in fact, to anybody. So uh, yeah. what are the, what's the number one well, I think do or don't? The, the, the thing is, you know, as with the examples we've said that when we started off the show, your life can change in an instant, and it usually does. So, and we, we don't want people to stop living, but avoid risk-taking behaviors. So, again, the things we all harp on, drinking and driving, alcohol, Texting and driving, that's a big one. Texting and driving is is a huge thing. We we're going to launch a, a campaign between Quasa and Saska to to create awareness on on texting and driving. Um, diving into swimming pools or, or uncharted water into dams and in summer the summer months are coming up. We're all going to go out. Avoid alcohol and and risk-taking behavior, you know, at the pool. We all like to have a drink every now and then, but if you're going to go there, please don't do it in an open body of water or closer where you'll be tempted to dive in. Um, so and if you jump, dive in, you always feast first, never with your head first. You know, it's far easier to, to treat a, a fractured leg than it is to treat a fractured spine. She says, and that's the so, truth. So um, feed first, always into any uncharted water is is an important lesson. So those are the, the sort of major traumatic caveats there that we all emphasize on regularly and that, that we try and, and get home to the population out there. But also take care of your back. The, avoid excessive lifting in when you're young. You know, it's always easier. I, I, I have a lot of patients that come from, say, the motor industry where they they exposed to occupational injuries all the time. They know it's easier when you're young and below, under 30, it's easy to lift the block of the car out of the engine bay instead of using the hoist that's been provided by the workshop, you know. Don't do that because if you do keep on doing that for 10 years, it will be good for me because you'll come and visit me and I'll have to treat your spine. But you'd rather not but have that. I'd rather patients. not have patience, <laughs> you know, with that type of thing. So, so take care of general spine health is important. You said that, you know, you know a lot of people with spinal cord or, or back pain. And we've it just, really is. It's, it's yeah, ridiculous how many people are suffering absolutely amazing. Pain. We've just finished the decade the, the, of the musculoskeletal system, again from the WHO. Aside from hip and knee arthritis, back problems is the number one cause of disability in any population above 14. You know, we always talk about heart disease. We always talk about diabetes. We always talk about... Those type of conditions uh, which are lifestyle conditions, but we very seldom focus on your musculoskeletal system. We're all going to become older. They say that the, the average under 20 generation now have, might have a life expectancy of 150. But who wants to live to 150 if your knees don't work and your back doesn't work and you can't sit up and you can't, you know, you're bedridden because of, of degenerative conditions of your spine. So. Although people are becoming bionic. 
Absolutely. You know, just replace but, the knees. Uh, well, the hip. no, we can replace <laughs> the hips and the knees, but we can't replace the spine. That's you know, true. Uh, so we Do you think we'll ever a, be able to? I hope so. Uh, I think there's huge promise in, in biologics. Um, we, we're developing, you know, hopefully in 10 or 20 years we won't operate a fracture anymore. We'll inject it with a magic glue and the, the fracture will heal. And we might be able Jeez, to, be <laughs> we might be able to inject a degenerative spine and reconstitute uh, the discs and, and make the canal open by, by using biological methods without having major surgery. <laughs> At this stage, however, those, that type of technology is very much still in the infancy and in laboratories and not in general practice. So, until we have those type of solutions, you need to take care of your spine now, you know, while you're young. What's your feeling about sleeping with pillows? I think as long uh, I don't I'm think... I'm thinking about well, posture and, yeah. you know, looking after your spine, Absolutely. as you say. I, I think pillows is... is, is one thing, the, the more important thing is the mattress. You know, the the quality of the mattress is very important. Um, we all tend to ignore it because it's a grudge spend. You know, I've just bought the mattress oh, a, no, year or two, <laughs> uh, a year or two ago, you know, and then when you go and look at it, the mattress is actually five years ago. And uh. Despite manufacturers' claims, no mattress that you spend a third of your life on, nothing can last for 10 or 20 years. You know, there's no substance for that, you know. So you have to take care of your mattress regularly, flipping it over, turning, turning it, it. Putting it out in the sun. Putting it out yeah. in the sun, that type of thing. And if you, you, know, you have to remember, as I said, you spend a third of your life on a mattress if you sleep eight hours a day. So there's nothing that, that, that will last that long. Your shoes don't last that long. So, so how, why does And your you don't spend that long in... In your, in your shoes, yeah. <laughs> Pat says, what about calcium supplements? And I'm assuming that that's, uh, yeah, also. Yes. Does it contribute that's, that's to important. spinal health? Yeah. Um, calcium supplements, again, in, in somebody that has underlying osteoporosis or in females postmenopause, I think is a good idea. You have to be careful, you know, if, um, you don't want to have excessive calcium intake, but you, um, calcium will prevent uh, or uh, you know if you have a restricted diet um, calcium does become very important when you want supplementation however is not in your postmenopausal phase you reach your maximum bone density at the age of 32 so we need to again teach our our younger people um, our adolescents to have adequate calcium intake and they always worried about weight gain and they, they like fizzy drinks which actually make their calcium absorption less. So if they don't build up enough bone quality by the age of 32, the chances of them having problems in their 50s and 60s with osteoporosis, which has a huge impact on the spine, <laughs> is is absolutely great. So we need to, again, target the younger population. I don't think necessarily, you know, it's as important for the 40s to 50 years old to take calcium than it's to make sure that our teenagers have a proper diet 
that includes enough calcium and avoids avoid drinks and and substances that can decrease the absorption and of caffeine. Uh, caffeine, fizzy mm. fizzy drinks, the you know all the sodas. So like and all things. things, it comes down to the foundation. Absolutely. So the 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 better your bone mineral density is at the age of thirty two, the better your spine health will be. In, in, in your 50s and 60s. And that is how we get to the end of this Discare Medical Monday. Thank you very much to Dr. Francois Teron. He's an orthopedic surgeon whose practice is in Pretoria. And uh, we've been talking about spinal cord injuries. If you'd like to be in touch with me about, uh, I don't know, spinal cord injuries or anything you'd like to get the details for uh, Dr. Teron, then uh, you can email me, Kathy, K-A-T-H-Y, at chaifm.com, C-H-A-I-F-M.com. Thanks, everybody. Thanks uh, for being part of the show this morning. Thank you so much to uh, Mandy Pakin, and, uh, who produces the show, and especially to Dr. Francois Turon, our orthopedic surgeon and our expert this morning. We'll be back same time, same place next week. You've got a date with me. Bye. Medical Monday is proudly brought to you with the compliments of Discam, pharmacists who care.